And turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament. New Testament sermon to the Hebrews is where we are at. The Lord has called us to renewal. He has assured us of His covenant love and forgiveness in Christ. And now He gives us His life-giving Word. And so we find a very concerned preacher, a very concerned pastor here in Hebrews. Many believe it was the Apostle Paul. There's some healthy reasons for that, perhaps more reasons as to why it may not be Paul. Some think it was Barnabas, maybe the son of exhortation, the son of encouragement who is uh, writing here. Others have argued for Apollos. You know, Apollos was, he was a good speaker. He was eloquent in his speech and he uh, was competent in the scriptures we read in Acts, but we don't know at the end of the day whose, whose words these actually are uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the flock that he loves is uh, in danger. Um, they are, are fearful. Uh, they're tempted to question, if not abandon, this gospel message uh, that they've heard. They're seeing that the cost of discipleship is high, and they're doubting uh, and fearful. And so th- this pastor addresses him not by saying, okay, church, God is faithful to every one of his promises. Hold on, he knows what he's doing. That's not what he does. He opens by showing them the superiority of Jesus. That He is the incarnate, eternal, exalted Son of God. And then He props this all up on the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures. The material that we use in our Sunday school curriculum, a lot of it is produced by Great Commission publications. And and, uh, this publishing uh, branch when it gets to the the high school curriculum they have named that curriculum so what which seems appropriate most high schoolers are asking so what about many things in life Um, it's a question that we may have early on in this sermon Jesus is superior to the angels his function is to rule their function is to serve so what Well, the preacher is going to answer that uh, in these four verses Uh, beginning chapter 2. Let's give our attention here to this exhortation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord God, You speak this word to us in Your mercy and Your grace. We thank you that you condescend to us in such a way that we can understand and in such a way that we need as your people. Lord, we're grateful that you are behind every word and that your word will fulfill its very purpose in our hearts and lives at this very moment. Make us attentive, we pray, and help us, Holy Spirit. Show us Jesus through this warning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, 
Really, let's just ask Howard to come up here and, and share again some of the illustration that he was drawing on. I was thinking about summer camps and how cool summer camps can be. Many of you have had this experience at a summer camp. For some of you, it was a long time ago. Uh, for some of you, it was not so long ago. And the summer camps are a lot of fun. Good teaching. There's, there's usually some, some healthy worship happening, outdoor activities. Uh, and this is for campers as well as for leaders. And as Heath and I were sharing this last week, um, they can also be, uh, these times at camp can be some embarrassing moments. And uh, like when several college guys and the campus minister uh, load up on a paddle boat and head out to sea. Um, and whether Heath was among them, I'll let you uh, determine that with these details. Um, so these guys are headed out, you know, for a little relaxation, just enjoy, uh, enjoy each other's company on the paddle boat. And after a while, they realize that they have moved farther and farther away uh, from the dock. Um, and no amount of paddling seems to help at this point. And what they didn't know at the time was that the rudder on their little paddle boat had broken. And so they could paddle all they wanted to, and they weren't going to get any closer uh, to the shore. And so slowly, unnoticeably, they had drifted dangerously far away. Um, but not to worry, there were two female lifeguards who rescued them, um, which maybe was a point to begin with. I, I don't know. Um, but danger of drifting away. Um, danger for this young church is a danger for us a very real danger uh, for us in the church today, slowly losing our course only to discover much later on the consequences of drifting. And so the preacher has laid this foundation, um, this, this first appeal here. It's considered one of, one of at least five warning passages uh, in this sermon. He's calling them back, warning them not to drift, but give attention to the message of the gospel that, that they've heard. And so there are several reasons for the early church and for us to give attention uh, to this message. We're going to look briefly at three of them from these verses. The first is the importance of the message, followed by the consequence of neglecting the message, and then finally confirmation of the message by the Lord God himself. And so the way in which chapter 2 opens here, not at all uncommon for this time period in the first century where as a teaching style or as a preaching method. Preacher would, would lay out a warning, lay out an exhortation, and then follow that up with a rhetorical question. And that was a way of, of drawing in the audience. You, know, you get their attention, you draw them in so they can consider why this imperative is so uh, important. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. So there's that familiar uh, boating nautical imagery that this audience would be very familiar with. Um, the anchor of the ship, if that, if that breaks loose, doesn't hold, or the rudder on the paddle boat breaks, um, the boat drifts past safe harbor. And we don't know exactly what the source of drifting was for the audience, what the cause of this may have been, uh, but they're not as confident or secure in the gospel message as they once were. They're not giving the message the attention and seriousness uh, that it required. And so if they regarded the character of Moses and the, the importance of the law given to Moses highly, and that was declared to him by angels, 
then their appreciation for the fulfillment of that law in Jesus, that needed to grow. They must make this final and superior word, the word of life in Christ, they must take it seriously, consistently. And that's the first question I'm going to ask you. Do you take this message seriously? Are we anchored? Do we hold fast to, uh, to the gospel that we say we believe? And this is going to require constant attention, church family, because the, the drifting will happen slowly. It will happen imperceptibly. All we have to do is sit back and not give attention to the words of truth. So who is the preacher that you are listening to the most? Who's the preacher you're listening to the most? Now, don't be surprised by the answer, but it's the one staring back at you in the mirror every day. Frightening, isn't it? We must preach the gospel to ourselves continually throughout the day, reminding ourselves, again, by the Spirit of God, that we are adopted children of the Most High God. That in our sin, we substitute ourselves for God, but in our salvation, God has substituted Himself for us in the giving of His Son. Now we are more loved. We are more accepted than we could possibly imagine. Not because of anything we have done. Not anything intrinsically within us. But because we are bound to Christ in all that He is and all that He's done. That's what we need to preach to ourselves every day. Not just a one-time belief. Continually. Because there is this current pulling us away from the harbor of salvation. Pulling us away from Christ. Here's what C.S. Lewis uh, said on the nature of drifting. He said, We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christ how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument? No, do not most people simply drift away? There's a, I want us to hear there's an aspect of our faith that certainly is passive. You know, we don't do anything but, but receive and rest upon the finished work of Christ. But when that's true, when we have that rest, we have that comprehension an assurance of the new life that's ours in Jesus, then we respond. It, it activates us. And we bear that fruit of life in Christ. It's what Peter intends when he says, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Be diligent. Give attention to our spiritual condition. Or we get pulled away. Let me give you a few signs here. A few signs that you may be drifting from the safe harbor of salvation. Um, if, you, if your desire to pray, if your desire to spend time in God's Word is waning or it's diminishing, that's something to give attention to. Um, I, don't, I, don't think, um, I don't think we ever have, maybe not never, but have the intention of, of truly just laying it all aside, sort of dropping out of 
of the school of Christ and ignoring God's word. I don't think that's often the case. But think about the waters that we're swimming in today. When everything that we hear, everything that we see is questioned of the authority behind it, the truth behind it, um, not sure who to trust, not sure what to believe, that can be very frustrating, yes? Very frustrating. We throw our hands in the air and say, I give up. I'm not, I'm not going to listen anymore. I'm not going to pay attention anymore. You know, whatever kind of, kind of an attitude. Well, that attitude can bleed into our spiritual lives. You say, whatever, I'm done. I'm not, not watching or listening anymore. No one really has this answer. Nothing seems to change, so I'm done with it. And yet we hear that, that God is very concerned with truth. He's the source of truth. Truth is, is a high priority, high priority for the prophets, high priority for the apostles, and for Jesus who says, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Okay, so the less time we spend in God's word, less time in prayer, the more we're going to drift with the currents of the time, the mentality of the time. So that's the first, first sign. Here's another sign. If your desire to be with God's people is lessening, just to, to spend time, as we're doing this morning in corporate worship, uh, or fellowship together, if that's just not a, a priority, then beware. Um, I mean, this whole pandemic, are we still in a pandemic? I'm not sure if anybody said we are when we left. Um, but that this whole thing, you know, we, we couldn't gather for a time. And there are some who still have not come back together uh, for worship. I mean, that's like the undertow, just pulling God's people away. If there's no gospel urgency, no real desire to share the hope that you have in Jesus, that's a sign of drifting. If you think this whole idea of making disciples, well, that's, you know, that's somebody else's gift, not mine. Um, that's a warning. If we are grateful for the freedom that we have in Christ, we cannot help but share uh, that truth, that love with others. Finally, give, give attention to the enjoyments, how much joy you're taking in the things of this world, in the pleasures of this world. Um, Paul said to Titus that some would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Do not love the world or the things of the world, John writes in his first letter. So if you find you're taking more enjoyment in the things of this world that are passing away than the things of Christ and his kingdom, sign of drifting. Pay attention, be diligent in the means of grace that God has provided. Howard mentioned some of those means to our children a few minutes ago. One counselor said spiritual growth is a lifestyle, it's not an event. There's no vacation, no retirement season from the fight against these undercurrents intent on pulling us away. So we hear the importance of the message. What happens if we ignore or neglect uh, this message? Verses 2 and 3 tell us, really with a rhetorical question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So in the Old Testament, God justly punished for disobedience. He judges those who do not repent, those who have turned away from Him. We hear it in places like Jeremiah 14 and 15. Here's what God says through the prophet. The Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. 
Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Next chapter, I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord. The sword to kill, the dogs to tear, and the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth to devour and to destroy. If God brings this judgment in the Old Testament, what will happen if his people reject the superior and final word that is Christ. Does anyone believe that's going to turn out better? Maybe God won't notice the rejection of of the only way, truth, and life that he's provided for humanity? John chapter 3. I mean, we find verses that everyone in the church has probably heard or knows, and even those outside of the church are often familiar with. You know what they are, right? For God so loved the world, gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. We know those verses, but just two verses later, we hear whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the consequence of rejecting or neglecting this gospel message is great. Let's remember, God does not abandon His people. God does not reject His chosen people. For for all who are in Christ, Paul speaks again, there's no condemnation. We must cling to the living Word. We have an even greater privilege now than those who have gone before us. A greater responsibility then in these last days with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Many of you will remember the name Lance Armstrong, uh, probably the most well-known cyclist in America in my lifetime. And uh, Lance won the Tour de France, Tour de France seven times, I think it was, 99 to 2005, and that after battling cancer. So it was an incredible story and an incredible accomplishment, so the world thought. And then he's brought under investigation for using performance-enhancing drugs, for for doping, which is something that he denied for years. Uh, There's all kinds of lawsuits, litigation. You remember just the mess that this was. He was stripped of those medals uh, from that race. Um, And it wasn't until, it written down, it wasn't until 2013, years after, that he finally admitted that it was true, um, that he'd used these uh, these drugs. Well, he later wrote an autobiography and he called it It's Not About the Bike. Uh, and in this book here, he doesn't claim to be part of any church, um, but he has some reflections on God that, and he refers to God as somebody with a capital B, somebody. Um, and here's what, what he says in his books. It's something like this. If I'm going to be judged someday by somebody, if there's a judgment for me by somebody, I hope it won't be on the basis of what church I've joined or whether I've been baptized, but I hope that he will take into account the whole of my life. You hear what he's saying? Now, can you even imagine this? Imagine the curtain being pulled back on your life before a holy and righteous almighty God. How far do you think that curtain's going to get? Every thought, every word, Every intention of your heart, how far is that curtain going to get before you stand condemned? I mean, if we want to see what happens 
when God takes into account the whole of our lives and we just we go to the Old Testament, start scrolling through its pages, when we stand before God, our hope and our words will not be, God, please take into account the whole of my life. No, our words must be, oh God, please take into account the whole of Christ's life on my behalf. That is the only way that we will stand and not come under the just retribution that this preacher is warning of. So hear the importance of the message. Hear the consequence of neglecting that message. And finally, we have confirmation here. The early church had heard this message through the apostles, or maybe helpers to the apostles for that first time. And then the apostles are the ones who walked and talked with Jesus. They heard directly from Him. And I just think how hard it is to deny that type of witness. Um, signs, wonders, miracles that all attest to the truth of this message. Um, and I, I think how, how little, really nothing, that the apostles had to gain from sharing the message of the gospel. From a human perspective, that is. I mean, what they could look forward to would be the suffering of their master and persecution, even death. And yet we read in places like Acts chapter 5 that they rejoiced to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced in this. I read that and sometimes I wonder if I have any idea what it's like to follow Jesus. They could do nothing less than share what they had seen and heard. But here's the most powerful witness to the gospel message. It is the Lord himself. Do you see the triune God confirming the message here? End of verse 3. Yeah. It was declared at first by the Lord, there's the Son, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God, Father, also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bear witness to the truth and importance of this message. If you have a witness by the triune God, that shows just how great and complete this salvation is. God gave signs and wonders, miracles, to show the, the rule of Christ, the authority of Christ and His kingdom. These were all signs of God's care. They were signs of God's love for a people. And it's a love that's known now, church family, through us, through His people. You know, our God can certainly do those, call them capital M miracles. He can certainly do this. He can uh, alter the universe, suspend the laws of nature that He has established to show His power and authority and care for His people. He can do that. That's rare. But more common are these little M miracles that God does in our lives every day. The miracle of transformation. The miracle of a changed life that's growing more into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the miracle that most people are going to, to see. The miracle of the way that God confirms His message to this world. Christians who are walking in obedience to the gospel, walking in obedience to the truth, through, through conversions, the, the miracle of changing the heart 
And it, it could be very unlikely uh, characters, like maybe a Nebuchadnezzar or a Zacchaeus or an elite Jewish Pharisee named Saul or maybe a modern-day Christopher Yoon. Learned a little bit about Christopher this last week. Grew up with Christian parents, loved him, drifted away, neglected the message. He ended up as a drug dealer living a homosexual lifestyle and uh, finally sentenced to, to prison where he learned in prison that he was HIV positive. Walked by a garbage can. There was a little book sitting on top of the garbage can. You can probably guess what it was. Yeah, the Gideons, faithful Gideons. It was a New Testament. And he picked it up. He said he hadn't read it and read anything in the Bible in years. Um, and so he read this. It, it, it wasn't immediate. It took time and trial. His prison sentence was shortened. He ended up going to Moody Bible Institute, later ended up teaching at Moody Bible Institute. Here's what he said of those those words. He said, it's not just ink on a page, but the breath of God to us, piercing the heart. The miracle that God has done in his life. He said, change is not the absence of struggles, but the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of struggles. That's a miracle of the Spirit. Able to do that. The miracle of the Gospel in transforming from life, from death to life. It may look spectacular. It may, it may often not look all that spectacular. But it's happening every day, this miracle. It's happening in our lives each day as we put sin to death. As we die to ourselves and live to Christ. He is our life. And this message, church family, that this message that you are hearing this morning, uh, this is nothing new. This gospel message is the same that has been preached as this first for millennia now. Several millennia. And yes, it's been packaged and presented differently. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the apostles, the life of Jesus, what this early church is hearing, what we're hearing this morning, I mean, that's, that is amazing. That should be a real encouragement to us. I hope it is. That this isn't some... You know, Brad's new idea or new message, God's word endures forever. That gives us confidence. It gives us hope when nothing else seems to do so. So this is the first warning passage uh, to come uh, out of Hebrews here. And it's important we understand something about these passages. Um, Warnings like this should make us a little uncomfortable. They should do that. If we're reading the Scriptures and we never get a little bit uncomfortable, that's probably a bad sign. Um, They should get our attention. Um, So be uncomfortable, but these these warnings should not make us fearful. Um, I love how one uh, one teacher described these passages. He said these, these warning passages are like circling the wagons. I think that's a great picture. When God's people stop listening or stop giving attention, it's time to circle the wagons. It's time to regroup. So the preacher of the Hebrews here, he, he senses this. He warns them, pay attention, keep going, hold on and listen to uh, this word that's been entrusted. The gospel is true. God has graciously revealed it to you. He's confirmed it outwardly through these signs and wonders. He confirms it inwardly by His Holy Spirit, testifying to our spirit that we are children of God. 
So don't turn away. Don't grow lazy in your belief. The consequence is great, but the gift of God is greater. So much greater. Lord Jesus is our hope. He is our harbor of salvation. You remember how we're going to end these sermons? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we can do no other than lift our voices in response. Sing of what a great salvation you have given to us. Or to think that you've entrusted us with this message. Or may we consider its import to us today and hold fast to this message. Guard our hearts. Guide our steps. Guard us from drifting from the importance of this gospel. Oh, may our joy in Jesus, our anchor, only grow. And we thank you for your word, Lord, that, that anchors us, um, that steers us, that um, is a light to our path on this pilgrim journey. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.